Welcome to another episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, the Boots on the Ground podcast for replanters by replanters with your host, Bob Bickford and Jimbo Stewart. Here in the trenches with you doing the gritty and glorious work of replanting dying churches. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital, the church website and branding partner you need to help move your church forward. Here we are back at the boot camp. Bob, I hope you're ready for the next episode. I just finished spending a couple good days with our good friend, Happy Huggy Halleck, down here in Jacksonville, Florida. And here's what I want to tell you was exciting for me was the last time he was here, I exposed him, and we talked about it on the podcast, to bread pudding. Mm-hmm. He'd never had bread. Not only had he never had bread pudding, he had never heard of bread pudding. And that's when we discovered the issue to one who has never heard of bread pudding, there's really no way to describe what bread pudding is and make it sound appetizing. Like if you describe the ingredients, it sounds less appetizing. Like in the process, you, you say, okay, take some stale bread and you soak it in a custard and, and then you cook it and put some ice cream on it. And the only thing about that that sounds appetizing is the ice cream. Yeah, I would agree. The first time I ever heard about bread pudding, a bread is a delivery vice, uh, device for me, Jimbo. Um, mm-hmm. There there are some good breads that, like, I know we we recently went to Papa Do's. We're kind of turning this into a food episode right from the start here, but <laughs> hold on, boot campers. Papa Do, for instance, we went there uh, at the beginning of August, and then they had a nice crunch, crunchy bread. Is that a baguette, I guess? Maybe something like that. I don't. I don't know. But it was. Yeah, the baguette's like the long, slender, this real crisp. Yeah. You want crunch. You want a crunch on the outside, and you want soft on the inside, right? So. That's um, correct. Yeah. You should be able to slap it, and there's a certain sound you're looking for when you slap it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. That's the truth. That's how you know if a, if a French baguette is good that you can slap it, and there's a certain hollow sounding sound that you can get out of it. Well, all right. There's so you learn something every day on the boot camp. something in addition to replanting and revitalization. But all that to say, I agree with you. Bread, bread for me is primarily a delivery device. I just don't go seeking it out going, I just need some bread right now. Not me. Now, I made you some homemade bread and brought it to you one time. What were your you thoughts did. on the focaccia bread and the Hokkaido rolls? Yeah, it was really good. Um, and and uh, heated them up a little bit, put some butter on them, and, and really enjoyed them. So I, I'm grateful for, for you bringing me some bread. There we go. Well, look, not only should we be willing to explore foods we've never heard of and that don't sound appetizing when someone we love and trust tells us that it's good, but... Halleck asked for more this time, and he he said he for sure wanted more bread pudding while he's here, but he wouldn't have experienced the joy of bread pudding had he not been willing to do that. And Bob, I think this is what I want to talk about today, not bread pudding, but how do you or should you, let's first answer the question, should you be willing to listen to and learn to people that you don't 100% agree with? What are your thoughts? Everybody except for an Alabama football fan. Amen. <laughs> so, I have a few. I have a few Alabama football f- fan friends. We even have some that listen to the boot camp that I love because of the grace of Jesus Christ. Yes, there you go. So, yeah, Jimbo. I, you know, joking on saying that. I know we'll get some uh, Bama haters on here since you're you're an LSU fan and I'm a Razorbacks fan. So. Uh, no hate from the no hate intended to the Bama fans, but yeah, I mean you've got to be able to listen for somebody for truth from a bunch of different sources, in the sense of what might be helpful 
I think there's levels of like practical truth, organizational truths, you know, theological truth. We obviously, we obviously want to be more guarded in that. Um, I don't think that's what we're talking about, but we're talking about, can you, if I'm hearing you right, can we listen to others and understand one, where they're coming from? And then two, is what they're saying, does it have a point to it? And, and is it a valid point? See, I would even say to a degree, we can listen to and learn from people who we don't agree with 100% even theologically. Right? I mean, outside of the Bible, I don't know that I've ever read anybody I've agreed 100% with theologically. You know, I, I love C.S. Lewis. I, I love the way he thinks. I love the way C.S. Lewis writes. But there are definitely some things about Scripture and Trinity that I, I don't agree, and I wouldn't use C.S. Lewis to teach and illustrate certain things because of ways that I disagree with. But it doesn't mean that I can't still highly value something like mere Christianity and so much of that that is so rich and, and beautiful. And so, I, I mean, I think always with your always with the testing it through Scripture— Mm-hmm. Right. And always knowing that scripture is the filter and the guide. But I have sensed, I don't know if you have, Bob, but as I've had conversations with a lot of people, there seems to be a growing unwillingness to listen to or read people that are outside of like your camp. Like people are more and more, it feels like, putting themselves kind of in theological or even ecl- ecclesiological camps. And then they kind of go, oh, well, and I can't. I can't listen to that guy because we disagree on this thing, right? This, and so we we kind of go, well, we can't can't read that guy, can't listen to that guy because do you know what he believes about such and such? Well, done, can't learn from him. And I don't know. I think there's I think there's something dangerous about that approach, and I think there's something really important about being willing to learn from people and, and just having that skill of how do you learn from people that you don't 100% agree with? Yeah, I think so. This this reminds me of the episodes we did on leadership judo when somebody's coming at you with an idea or a thought or mm-hmm. uh, some kind of design and you're trying to, to determine is this, are they trying to attack me or is this is harm going to be harmful to me or can I, can I receive this and guide it to a place where, where I can not be damaged by it. And maybe in the same way, there's there's sort of a philosophical judo that we need to be able to do to hear somebody's argument and get at the root of it. Mm-hmm. And I, I remember this reminds me of a, a seminary class that I had with a, a professor named Mark Devine. And that's one of the things he said is we've got to be able to listen to others' ideas and thoughts and perspectives in order to really understand not only what we believe, but what we might also, how we might need to respond I know we've done some preliminary outline stuff, so I don't want to jump ahead. So I'll let you unpack it. Jump ahead. But uh, I think one of the things that's important is is you really, in, until you can argue a position from another person's perspective that you disagree with, you might not fully understand their perspective. Uh, and this is a hard one for me because I think a lot of us put our passion and our emotion behind our arguments. An argument in the right, in the... And stated in this way, an argument for something in favor of something, not just an argument that we're fighting over who has the best chicken sandwich, Popeyes or Chick Fil A, right? You know, Popeyes. It's, but it's what are they saying? Yeah, well, that's easy. Yeah, Popeyes. But what are they saying? And do I really understand it from all all the facets? And could I even argue the merits of their point, even though I may not disagree? I may disagree with it. 
Yeah, I think it's one of the reasons I love that my kids in the homeschool co-op that we participate in, they they eventually have to learn Lincoln-Douglas debate. And uh, I did some of that in college. I was on the forensic team some doing Lincoln-Douglas debate. And I mean, it was one of the skills that we have to learn is how to be able to understand the opposition's argument. And I read a quote recently by a guy named Daniel Dennett that said, you should attempt to re-express your target's position so clearly, vividly, and fairly that your target says, thanks. I wish I'd thought of putting it that way. <laughs> I, I, mean, I mean, really, and I, I've even heard Tim Keller say that, you know, you should be able to understand the world, you know, others' perspectives on something that you can restate it almost better than they can to where they hear that and they say, and they think, yeah, you have accurately represented what I believe. Really, only at that point can you start to possibly, one, make a, make a difference in their life and make an argument. And I don't mean argument like you were saying, like in the volatile sense, but like a, a discussion the other direction. But also, I think it, this is what I've experienced. When you restate someone's argument so accurately that they agree with it. And it's so important to be able to do that. One, you honor them. Mm -hmm. You honor them and you respect them without affirming them. So you're not saying, I agree with you. You're saying, hey, Bob, when you say that, here, what I hear you say is, and then I restate your, the thing that you have argued. And if you go, yeah, that's, that's what I mean. Now we can actually engage the topic. But really until we come to that point that we both understand I mean, really, to understand what you're trying to say to me, I can't really engage. And this is what I see so often is we assume, not only do we assume we understand what they mean, we caricature it into the worst possible lens and an angle. And we just come at them with like, oh, so you, and then we throw this like wild straw man argument <laughs> at them. And, and then also we just start arguing about that. And, and here's here's the thing. I think one that displays arrogance. It, it is it's a lack of humility. It doesn't honor anyone, and it's not going to accomplish anything. Like, do you actually want to see someone's perspective change? And if you do, then you have to understand what their actual perspective is, or you can't help them change it. You're right. Assumption of motive and intent really shut down a conversation. Mm-hmm. And so I think instead of saying, so what you're saying is, and then fill in your assessment, you might need to change your language to say, hey, I just want to be sure that I'm hearing you correctly. If I'm understanding your point, it's, and then you explain in your words what mm -hmm. you've heard them mm -hmm. say, I think that invites them to, to be the final verifier or disqualifier of what you just said, right? So here's what I heard you say. Did I understand you accurately? Well, yes or no, right? So that invites two people to come together to continue a conversation rather than to assume a motive and, and, and establish kind of, well, here's what I think you're all about and here's who, who here's where I think this is coming from. You just want to fill in the blank, whatever. That's going to shut somebody down. And so I, I'm, as I'm thinking and processing this, I'm thinking, okay, this is this is a necessary approach with people who are not Christians and who you're seeking to share the gospel with. This is also a, some sort of, a, this is a, a skill that you need to develop with adversaries or people who are becoming adversaries in the church. 
right? Mm-hmm. Because they have that, and talk about the conflict is probably higher inside the church than it is with a non-Christian outside the church. I would imagine the passion yeah. level and the intensity level. Yeah, I think especially when it comes to conflict within the church, to to listen listen for the purpose of understanding, not responding. And 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 here's the thing: like we said, one, you you can't actually engage the topic until you understand and you have a, an understanding of where you're coming from. Two, you get to honor that person without affirming their beliefs and respect them. And then three, because you've honored them and treated them respectively, respectfully and with integrity, they might actually be open to listening and wanting to fully understand what you have to say. And, then, and, and you've set ground at that point when they maybe do misunderstand your perspective to say, hey, just like earlier, I wanted to make sure I clearly understood you. The way you're responding to what I've said, I'm not sure that you have a clear, I'm, I'm not being as clear as I want to be. So let, let me attempt to be clear in my perspective. And because you've honored them in, in working through their perspective, they'll probably, hopefully, if they have some emotional maturity, honor your opportunity to clarify your perspective. Yeah, I think so. And that's really what we're trying to do is establish some common ground for understanding. And we might learn something along the way. Again, if you want to line up all of the categories that this kind of skill or this kind of response would be helpful in, we've talked about in terms of leadership, organization, you know, organizational health perspective, personal relationships, you know, all number of different things. You you don't own the corner of truth on all of those things, right? And in particularly your personality. This reminds me of of going back to even some of the, the podcasts we've done with Les McEwen. A visionary is going to see something completely different than a processor, right? Mm-hmm. And that's typically the most difficult two personalities to, to, to work together close in an organization. But both personalities, both leadership styles are absolutely necessary. And so those two would really need to to master this ability to look at an issue from both sides. Yeah, and you referenced earlier the Leadership Judo series we did. In my opinion, that's one of the best-running series we've done on our podcast. And so, Boot Camper, man, I'd encourage you to go to replantbootcamp.com, go to the search bar, just type in Judo, and only there's only a few episodes that would come up with Judo in the word, in, in the word search. And it really, I've shared that series with so many because I, I think it was, it was a very helpful way to approach things. I want to shift gears a little bit because I'm not only talking about things that are adversarial. I think this is a very important skill on things that are adversarial. But even beyond that, like I was referencing with C.S. Lewis, we get ourselves sometimes as believers into these theological or ecclesiological kind of camps and or I'm reformed or I'm not reformed or, you know, I'm whatever camp. And so we only want to listen to people that are kind of in that group, in that camp. I think we have to be careful to not put ourselves into echo chambers and not let things challenge what we believe. And I think I don't think your primary reading should be people that are what you would consider to even be dangerous perspectives or bad perspectives. I think there are guys like a C.S. Lewis, because that's just because an easy example, because like everybody loves C.S. Lewis, but most people don't realize he has some really wonky beliefs on some things. And so we all love to read him and quote him on certain things. But even read the things you disagree with and let it at least challenge your thinking. Because here's one of the things. One, it'll challenge you. But in that, it'll give you a deeper understanding of what you believe and why you believe it, right? Yeah. 
part of the extremes we've talked about before is like the CEO versus the chaplain and the overly pragmatic versus the purist and the strategist versus the overly spiritual, that kind of thinking. And, and here's the deal. Whichever of that pendulum you swing real far towards, I would encourage you to read some good, well-written stuff on the other end of the spectrum. And, and so if you're hardcore, theological, spiritual, Without and you don't really like to think a lot about pragmatic leadership, man, read some good leadership stuff and and think through it in a biblical framing. And here's the deal. Not all of it's going to fit, but we have to learn how to eat the meat and spit out the bones when it comes to some of those things. But if you're like a pure pragmatist and strategist and, and you're just all about that, then, man, you ought, to, you ought to pick up something like really deep and theological and rich and let it challenge you, especially something that even challenges the way you view your ecclesiology. And, and here's the thing, it's you're either going to learn different perspectives that you never would have considered before because you're outside of your echo chamber, and it's the only way to learn different perspectives, or you're going to grow deeper conviction for what you already believe, and it's going to become more real and more concrete because you've you've pitted it against something with a different perspective, and you've analyzed and, and studied Scripture and thought, man, no, even more so now, I believe what I came into this believing. Yeah, I, I would think that's an important task to do, but I, I would think that there need to be some safeguards in there. And a, a couple of thoughts. So, so, so one, Jimbo, when I went to Midwestern Seminary way back in the day, we were in the midst of a a change from very moderate liberal to conservative at that seminary. So I basically had two different seminary experiences. And so the first, my first semester or first year in, uh, at seminary, we were reading way outside of our tribe. I mean, it was like, but the thought was, and the educational kind of philosophy was, we want you to read way outside of your tribe and read from our tribe so that you really know what they believe and you know what you believe so that you leave here with a firm foundation, right? That was year one. Year two, all of the all of the reading outside your tribe philosophy was gone, right? It's here's what we believe, here's the historic faith delivered us, et cetera, right? So I really had two different seminary experiences in that regard, right? So the first one, we were reading like Schleiermacher and Moltmann and, you know, all the just wacky stuff, right? It was like, do these guys even believe in Jesus? Like, I mean, what is going on here, right? And it was just craziness. And then the next, the next semester, it was like, you know, only the Puritans, only the Reformers, you know, et cetera, right? So I really had this, this really interesting experience in seminary. I think where, where my caution would be is for the guys who are out of school or the guys who are, are not going to school and you're starting to read outside your tribe, read in community with people who know you and you know them, who you have the foundation of historic rootedness in the faith, especially if you're going to read matters, theological matters, theological books, so that you're doing that in community and you're not doing that in isolation. My, my concern would be that some guys, you know, read one book and then they don't read it critically and they, they aren't challenged in their assumptions of that book, or maybe they're not understanding fully all the aspects of that book. And then they might find themselves heading off down an exit off of the, you know, orthodox highway a little bit here. And, and so I would be concerned about that. So if you're going to do that and you're not in, in community, do that in a community that you have some rootedness in so that if, if you're starting to try to dialogue and process 
some new ideas or new truth, you're you're doing that in the context of a community of faith uh, with good brothers. Yeah, I'll tell you, like, there's a series of books out there. Uh, I don't even know who puts them out there, but there's a series of books that are like the five views of, yeah. and then it'll go through something like that. And it'll it'll kind of get all the different perspectives. We, when I was replanting at Redemption, had, had a guy who wanted to be considered as an elder candidate, but he had a different theological view on something than we held. And so what I did is he wanted to discuss it further. So we got that the five views of that theological issue book, and we worked through it together for about six months. And we would meet once a week. We'd have a signed reading and and it's one of those where, like I said, it gave me a lot more insight into the different perspectives of that theological view. It didn't change my theological view. I was open to if they could prove that scripture teaches something different than what I believed, I was open to being corrected. I believe I was. But through that journey, it really honestly gave me a deeper understanding and deeper conviction of my theological perspective as I weighted against the other perspectives and really tried to analyze and understand where they were coming from and how they came to that conclusion. And it really, I, I've, I grew so much deeper in my conviction of my original position as a result. Yeah. I think tied to scripture in within community, seeking to understand, uh, and dialoguing with people, I think is really a key part of all of this. And I, I do think it's important to, to understand the different arguments and the different points from the variety of perspectives, because as you mentioned, the reality is you're going to have leaders within your church that maybe want to rise up to a higher level of leadership. They're going to have different perspectives. You're going to have church members. You likely will receive an email or two, which was common for me. I would receive an email from uh, a church member who would say, hey, I got a question about this issue, right? Mm -hmm. So I want to know what your perspective is on this issue, right? Or we will be in a small group meeting and I had a person with a different view of salvation and uh, does God initiate it? Does worse free will? And, you know, all those kinds of things and sovereignty and predestination and those things would come up within the small group discussion, right? And so I had to be versant in the different perspectives enough to be able to answer some of those things. And that's just one issue. And so I think it is important to be prepared and, and be a lifelong learner in, in these sorts of things. Yeah. I mean, I think about, I mean, I think about different people that I've learned from and benefited from that I for sure do not agree 100% with. I mean, there's some great stories and illustrations from Tony Campolo that I love. I love G.K. Chesterton. He was a Roman Catholic. You know, I think about, I love, there are some really great leadership stuff from Andy Stanley. I don't agree with Andy Stanley's Old Testament theology. I don't want to unhitch. I I want to hitch that trailer and I want to, I want, I want to stay hitched to that. And there are different but here's the thing, man. I, I've learned some really rich in my, I don't know about you, Bob, but as we come to the end of our time, my journey, I was thinking about this. When I became a believer, I was influenced by very different people than I mostly listen to and read now. Right. And I mean, I, I had like a, a whole process of evolving and evolving may not be the right word, <laughs> but maturing and <laughs> maturing in my theological perspective. But here's the other thing. I remember I remember being a college student at a Christian college and a professor came to me and wanted to convince me to sneak a tape recorder into my Old Testament professor's class because he was convinced my Old Testament professor was a liberal. 
And I said, I'm not sneaking a tape recorder into class. I said, what is your issue with what he teaches? And he said, well, he teaches evolution. And I said, he's not. I mean, I haven't heard that yet. I said, I'll, if I hear that, I'll let you know. Here's what happened. As I went in, I kind of wish I would have taken the tape recorder in. What the professor did is he fairly represented different perspectives of the Genesis narrative, right? Here are the different perspectives, and here's why they believe these things. Here's why this perspective believes this. Here's why this perspective believes this. He said, this is an academic class, and I want you to know that those perspectives are out there. You need to study Scripture, and you need to figure out what what the Holy Spirit tells you, you know, as you're studying it, you don't test it on everybody's perspectives, but you need to be aware of them and you need to be aware mm-hmm. of where they come from. Well, this professor wasn't teaching you to believe evolution. Yeah. He, he did teach what evo- evolutionary creationists and evolutionists believe and why they believe it, but he wasn't defending it. He wasn't advocating for it. He was just letting you know clearly that's what the perspective was. I think we just got to, we've got to believe that, when we pursue truth, we pursue Jesus because he is truth. Sure. And if we pursue truth, we can land on Jesus. We live in a time where words and meanings and truth are all sort of in a salad bowl, Jimbo, and they're sort of getting tossed to and fro. And if you're the kind of person that doesn't like a mixed salad or a, or you want things segmented, you probably struggle in this cultural reality that we live in. But the kids, and I say kids, you know, younger people that are younger than me are all kids, Jimbo, basically. So the culture that we live in views it differently than, than I did growing up. And I think for, for some, they feel, they feel threatened by just hearing an opposing view, right? And so I think this really gets to the heart of what we're, we're, you're trying to, to lead us in uh, the discussion here is because Jesus is true and the scripture has been delivered to us, which is true and authoritative uh, for us and inspired and inerrant and all those good things, we have a source of truth, which we build our, our doctrine on, our practice on, our lives on, our understanding of who God is and who we are. We build on that. And so we, we don't advocate departing from that. We advocate using that as a lens by which we evaluate everything. And so that would even include some who may have a, a, a bit different take on some things that we might have a, a firm conviction about. And so as long as we stay tethered to scripture and examine and look and be like the Bereans, right? We want to test this, right? We want to see, is this true? Is it not true? And we want to be, we want to be deliberate and we want to deliberate. And I think we can do that in the sense of, if we can do that with a sense of seeking Jesus, staying true to what God's word says, doing that in community, I think, I think we can navigate some some things that will be uh, important for us. The tribalism, I think, in the heart, I think, of what we're trying to talk about here, the tribalism that exists in our culture and perhaps even in the church world right now that says, I'm not even going to listen to what somebody has to say, or I'm not even going to, man, I'm not even going to sit at the table with this dude at an associational event because he likes so-and-so, then I think we're, we're probably not where we need to be. And, and so yeah. if we just want to make yeah. it plain and practical in that regard, Think of a person, pastor, boot camper, who is in your association of churches, group of churches, tribe, whatever, that may feel differently or believe differently about some things than you do. Could you still sit at a table and have a, a, a conversation with him about anything? But in particular, could you talk about the areas in which you differ and see, seek to understand what he believes, share what you believe, and then 
pursue Jesus in, in terms of your ministry context? I'll tell you, even as a point of evidence in this, I've been studying the book of Proverbs pretty in-depth in my quiet time. And there's whole sections of the Proverbs that are basically built off of Egyptian Proverbs, and, and they're adapted. I mean, they're, I mean, there's and there's evidence of that, and, but it's adapted to where it points to the one true God, not to a, a random God. And we so we see a biblical example of that, right? We see the Apostle Paul at Areopagus quote a pagan poet as he's at Mars Hill, Areopagus, and he's talking about how we're we're sons of God, and there mm-hmm. is one true God. And so truth points to Jesus. And so we should never be afraid of pursuing truth. Hey, as we close out, just wanted to say we have yet to receive an answer back to the challenge, the gauntlet that you threw down last week to Tom Rayner and Mark Clifton for the shirts, shirts and skins two-on-two basketball game. So we're still hoping to see that happen. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Replant Bootcamp Podcast, a resource for replanters by replanters. If you enjoyed this episode or found it to be helpful for you and your ministry, please help us get the word out by subscribing, sharing, and leaving us a review on your favorite podcast listening platform. This podcast is sponsored by 180 Digital. 180 Digital is a team of design, development, and marketing experts that love working with churches, big and small. Check out 180.church, O-N-E-E-I-G-H-T-Y.church to learn more about how 180 can help your church move forward.